chapter 3. Let's all stand tonight. Revelation chapter 3, Bible study time. You guys ready? Amen. All right. All right. You ever play the game Hungry, 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 Hungry Hippos? Ever played that game before? I told you I was, I was t- I'm a kid of the 80s, man. Remember that game, you know? We, we got, a, we got a, a one for our kids, and it was way smaller and way flimsier. It was like I hit it real hard. It was like broke the stupid hippo, you know? Like, what is this garbage, you know? They just don't make them like they used to, you know? Uh, but uh, anyways, I feel like when I come to church, you guys are like, um, 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 I want more. Um, 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 um. So I, I want to try to do the best I can to feed you tonight. Revelation chapter 3. And uh, the, the, the name of the church that we're looking at, we're talking about seven letters to seven churches. And the name of the church we're looking at is the Church of Philadelphia. And I want to be clear with you. Um, you know that as a city on the East Coast with a bunch of mean people. All right. Uh, or the Eagles fans, or whatever else, all right? Boo, all right? Uh, amen, I appreciate that. All those, all those in favor say amen, all right? Uh, but, but what we need to understand is it was a, it was a place in uh, Asia Minor in what is modern-day Turkey a couple thousand years ago. And it was a city there, and it's the last city you get to in the list of cities that are, the churches that are listed in Revelation 3, before you get to the last one, Laodicea. And these two could not be more different than each other. You ever have kids in the same house, raised the same way, and man, like you ask one kid, you know, how was it growing up? Oh, it was awesome. I remember Christmas, and I remember Thanksgiving. You ask another kid, it was terrible. They always made me do stuff I didn't want to do. You know, like the same kids, same family, same house, different perspective. That is Philadelphia and Laodicea, right? Now, Philadelphia means this. It means uh, brotherly love. Uh, Philo, it's a Greek, uh, Greek root, Philo, love, Delphos, brother, brotherly love. Now, you go to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you don't feel brotherly love, all right? Uh, but the, the, the name of the church, or the name of that city and connected to the church, it is significant because of what God does through them, and it's, we're going to learn about that. Uh, but I'll just say this, before I jump into the Bible tonight, there's a lot of folks that are under the weather, maybe some are discouraged tonight. What I want you to do is this real quickly. Now, now do not do what uh, some uh, well-meaning saints have done before and call somebody and go, where were you tonight? Should have been at church. Don't do that, all right? But you know what you can do? You can, you can text somebody and say, hey, missed you. How you doing? Praying for you. And you say, what is that? That's brotherly love, all right? That's, that's a sign. By the way, that is a sign of growth and maturity in the Christian life. Matter of fact, before we read Revelation 3, look at 1 Peter real quick. Look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter, that's not it. I think I may need 2 Peter. 2 Peter, there you go. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. You know what the sign of, of maturity in the Christian life is? It's not so much how much you know. Uh, it's what you're willing to do with what you know. Uh, and I, I've been hammering on that lately because I, I'm watching some things in these last days. You can go on YouTube and you can assimilate a ton of Bible knowledge and really not know how to apply it. I'm not saying you can't learn some things online. Don't misunderstand me. But the reason why God put you in a church is to force you to do stuff with people. Okay? Now, if you don't know what I mean by that, uh, aren't you glad Jesus didn't have a virtual ministry? Like, let me virtually walk on water. Let me virtually feed people. Let me, I, I'm thankful we can put our messages online. Don't misunderstand me. There's a good way to use technology. And all, don't, I, we don't have to go down that road. You know where I'm at on that. However, I'm thankful to have church. Right? Now, now look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, look at verse number uh, 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, 
If you're going to give diligence to something, look at this is what he tells you to give diligence to. Add to your faith virtue. That goes in line with purity and holiness and a virtue knowledge. Do you realize knowledge is not the first element? You ever understand that? Knowledge comes after. You, should get, you know why? Because the devil showed up with knowledge in Genesis 3, but not with virtue. Are you with me? All right. And, and a virtue knowledge and a knowledge temperance, balancing things out, and a temperance patience. We don't like that. Ain't nobody got time for that, right? Patience. And a patience, godliness, and a godliness. Look at this last thing. Look, look at this. Brotherly what? So you know the sign of you growing and maturing the Christian life? It's not, look how much I know, and I know about this, the seven sevens, and the seven is, and the, and the deeps, and all this kind of, No, you know what the sign of Christian growth is? It's you looking out for other people. City of brotherly love. Look at Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3, read a couple verses. We'll ask the Lord's blessing on the message. I don't normally tell you ahead of time, but Brother St. John, I'm going to ask you to open it up in prayer. And then at the end... My dear brother from Minnesota, I'll ask you to close this out in prayer as well, all right? Uh, and you're it, because the only other one from Minnesota is over there, so it's you, man. All right? Revelation chapter 3, uh, look if you would at verse uh, number 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David. We're going to discover what that's about. He that openeth and no man shutteth. I like that. And shutteth, and no man openeth. I don't always like that, but it's still good. Amen. I know thy works. Behold, I have not. I, I've set before thee an open door. We're talking about the church of the open door. This is Philadelphia. Their 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 name uh, uh, means brotherly love. But what they're known for is having an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Uh, God, God does some things that maybe you kind of take a step back. And I'm not sure I understand that. Uh, but I, I like the fact the Lord says, uh, I want people to know I love you. I, I like that. Uh, look at verse 10. Because I was kept the word. Now notice, underline uh, uh, the, the word word. Look at verse number 8. Thou hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Look at verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word. That, that's important to God that you keep his words. Thou hast kept the word of my patience. I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, and O man, take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Brother, if you'd ask the Lord's blessing. And we're talking about uh, churches that John, uh, oftentimes the old timers would call him John the Revelator, right? John, uh, uh, the apostle, uh, wrote to, but he was caught up, as the Bible says in Revelation 4. Look at chapter 4 and look at verse number 1. 
Chapter 4, verse 1, after this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Talk about the church of the open door. A door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. That, that is a very critical thing to take note of in chapter 4, and here's why. Because the churches are mentioned up until which time John experiences being taken up and seeing the things that come after the churches. You say, what's after the churches? Well, what's after the churches is the Great Tribulation. And uh, what you want to get a hold of is this. In chapter 4 and verse 1, what that's a picture of is the church itself getting raptured up before the Great Tribulation takes place on this earth. We've gone through this before, but I'm going to say it again. You don't go through the Great Tribulation. All right, number one, here's why. It's Bible. Number two, you can't get through traffic. You're not going to make it through the Tribulation. All right? All right, so, so, so understand, you don't, the Lord takes us out. The Bible says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Lord has not appointed us, God has not appointed us to wrath. Thank God for that. Now, what you need to understand about these churches is this. There are, I know I've been through this before, I'm going to say it again, though. There are three applications. You've got a historical application, meaning these were seven literal churches that existed in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, 2,000 years ago that John wrote these letters to or was told to write those letters to. All right, you've got a doctrinal application. You say, what does that mean? It means prophetically, what does this mean about the tribulation? Because what John's going to talk about for the rest of the book of Revelation is about that subject. All right. And then lastly, there's a practical or a devotional application. And what I want to do is I want to kind of hover between these two. Uh, We'll mention some things that are doctrinal in nature, but also things that are practical for your life right now. Now, let me just say this again. These two last churches, they could not be any more different. I mean, they swing completely the opposite way. Uh, matter of fact, here's what I want you to notice. In every one of the churches that we look at, uh, what the Lord does is he says this, I know that works. Here's the good stuff you're doing, but I've got a rebuke for you. Uh, here, here's what I want you to correct. Here's where I want you to repent from. Here's where I want you to go, the direction I want you to go in. This was right. This was wrong. Let's change this. Let's get back on track. And you know what's interesting about Philadelphia? Look, read those verses again. Just, just skim over them. Here's what I want you to do. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you as a believer to look at that passage, and I want you to look at that passage and go, does the Lord rebuke Philadelphia at all? You know what the answer is? He does not. Now, look at Laodicea. Look at the following verses after, after what we just read. You know what you find out? In Laodicea, he doesn't say one positive thing about them. You're looking at two very polar opposite churches, and yet you need to understand this. This eventually turns into this within, the, within a few generations. Do you realize why you should jealously guard that which is right? The reason you should do it is because it is not to be taken for granted what it is that you have. Uh, Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 real quickly. And I want to say this. We live in a generation where everybody wants a trophy, everybody wants a prize. All right? You came, so everybody gets a trophy, everybody gets orange slices, and we all go home happy after the soccer game, right? And and so let me just say this much. Uh, Salvation. Look, this right here, this is free, guys. Right here, right there. All right, that's free. That costs you nothing. But everything after that, once you accept that, if you want something to show for the life that God's given you, that's going to cost you something. All right, that's going to take some effort, some diligence. All right, and so what you see is this. Uh, Christians today, you know what they don't like? They don't like being told you're wrong. Let's be honest. Who wants to be told they're wrong? I don't want to be told I'm wrong. When you get pulled over, and you know you're thinking to yourself, you're just trying to meet your quota. I bet that's what that's all about. Right? 
And, and really what they're doing is like, you know why I stopped you? No, I don't know why you stopped me. I know this. This, this city's ridden with crime, and you're pulling me over for doing something that's not that big. When you start off like that, you know what your problem is? You can't be told anything. You know why? You know what, I, you know what I, I've learned? People that reverence preachers that lived a long time ago, I have people that will come here and go, well, Dr. So-and-so said this and this and this and that, and, and they love and appreciate that person whose church they don't have to go to. Are you with me? All right. We live in a generation where we don't want to be told anything. That, there's nothing wrong. You know, no authority. I kind of do my own thing. Again, this is why God puts us in a church to, to level those things out in our life. Uh, but the generation we're in is like, tell me all the good. Tell me a positive. You know, I've heard people say, you know, just too, too much negative preaching. Too much negative preaching. You know what? I heard one time someone said, uh, you just always preach against everything. Always everything. This sounds like a bad marriage, married fight. <laughs> you always, you never. Come on, don't marry people. Don't look at me like you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right, you always and ever. Uh, listen, let me just say this much. Um, you, no, it's not a preaching against everything. It's preaching against your sin. Right. That's supposed to be preached against. There are things that we should be against. You cannot be for things without being against other things. You understand that, right? So, so when it comes to the Christian life, look, there is a balance to it, but can I show what the balance looks like? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. And look at verse number one. And I'm mentioning this because the Lord is the one going through and talking to every church. You know what that means? He has the right as the author and finisher of our faith to say, here's where you're right, here's where you're wrong. And if you're smart, what you do is you listen to the rebuke and go, okay, I'll take that so I can be closer to him. Now, in Philadelphia, he doesn't give a rebuke. He just goes, let me encourage you. This is what you did right. That is an exception. That's one out of seven. You know what that means? I want to be like them. <laughs> I want to get to where they're at, all right? Uh, but look at uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 2. Uh, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Now watch the, watch the balance. Reprove, it's negative. Rebuke, negative. Exhort, positive. C can I say this? You need negative and you need positive. If you're in a place where all you, do, all you do is you're just constantly getting everything, literally everything is wrong all the time, and there's no liberty, and it's stifling, and you, it's legalistic, and you can't seem to enjoy your walk with God, that's a problem. On the other hand, can I say that the modern church has gone to the other extreme, where we don't want to talk about fornication. We don't want to talk about the, the modern uh, cult, uh, uh, sins of, of our modern culture. We don't want to talk about You say, why? Because then people get offended and they leave. Look, if you are here because you want to be tickled, you'd be in the wrong church. When you go to a Bible preaching church, you should go to go, I want the word of God, regardless of, of Lord, if it's going to hurt me, let it hurt me, let it hurt good so I can get better. Uh, listen, when you take medicine, does it always taste good? Why is it that all the food that's good for you is terrible tasting, right? At least that's what you think in your mind. Can I say this? And I, I'm, just, I'm not trying to preach the gospel of good eating, so don't, don't, we're not here. You know, pastor's crazy. You know, he wants us all to quit eating sugar and all that stuff. Some of you need to keep eating sugar because if not, you're going to be nasty. You're going to be really mean, all right? But I'm going to say this. For the last few weeks, I've had no sugar. You know what I've learned? Carrots taste really sweet. Apples are like dessert. This paleo waffle, I don't even know what paleo means. <laughs> but this paleo waffle that had no taste three weeks ago is like, oh my goodness. This is like a cinnamon, uh, it's like cinnamon toast crunch in my mouth right now. You say, why? Because your taste buds eventually change when you learn to put things out of your life that don't need to be there. Christian, you know what you'll learn to do? You'll learn to appreciate the rebukes from the Lord when they come your way. 
and the encouragement. And you do need both. Uh, but as you go, let's go back to Revelation chapter 3. Let me just say this. That is the instruction that Paul gives Timothy, uh, a young uh, preacher in the faith, and he tells him, you need to reprove, you need to rebuke, and yes, you do need to exhort. If all you got was exhortation, you'd be missing out. If all you got was reproof and rebuke, you'd be missing out. Now, now let me just say this much. What you have in seven churches, for the most part, the pattern is, here's what you did right, here's what you did wrong. With Ephesus, you, did, you kept my name, you kept the word, uh, you, know, you, didn't, you didn't tolerate those that said that we're Jews and we're not, uh, so on and so forth. You knew how to rightly divide. Man, you drew the lines, you drew the boundaries, but you fell out of love with me. And he does that all the way through. This is the exceptional church. So, man, if you're going to take notes on any church, this is the church to take notes on, guys. There, there's some stuff to learn from them. Uh, but can I say this before we talk about the church, you know who the real hero is? It's Jesus Christ. Uh, look at verse number seven. Can I point out that in every church he, he addresses, in every single one, what he does before he gives them a message, he goes, hey, let me tell you who's giving you the message. All right, for example, when he talks to Ephesus, he says, I'm the one in the midst of the candlesticks. You know what that means? He's central to everything. You want to you walk with God? Make him center. Make him the center of your life. Uh, it, it, when he talks to Smyrna, he's the first and the last. Can I ask you a question? Is this the first and the last thing you look at in the day? Or is this the first and last thing you look at in the day? It, 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 is it this? Is it a screen? Now, look, I'm not trying to beat you up, but I'm trying to help you understand something. If you go to sleep with a screen every single night, can I say you're missing out? You know what you got to go to sleep with? Conversation with God. Ah, oh, it's got real quiet. Preacher, leave that TV, leave that screen alone. I'm trying to help you out, all right? I didn't say you got to burn it. You can't have one. I'm just saying, you know what? That thing needs to be tamed just like everything else in your life, all right? Uh, listen, when he talks to Pergamos, he says, I'm the one that have the, I have the sharp sword with two edges in my hand. You know what he's telling you? I am the word of God. With every single church, before he addresses what he wants to tell them, he reminds them, let me remind you who's talking to you. You know one of the biggest problems I think Christians have is that when they hear something that maybe doesn't settle with them right away, they take it as the preacher's word. And let me just say this. If a preacher gets up and gives you his opinion on who to vote for, you know, which party to be a part of, you know, uh, 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 I think you need to go march for pro-life or whatever it might be, whatever his opinion might be, you know what you can do with that? Put it in the file number 13. Do you know what you ought to do when, when someone stands up and preaches the word of God, though? Look at First Thessalonians chapter 2. Here's the problem. You know why some Christians don't have power? You know, Brother St. John was talking about it. You go to a church that uh, doesn't really believe the Bible. And what they're taught is this is the closest thing we have to what God wanted us to know. And let me tell you, this ain't telephone. This ain't like God whispered to one guy and he whispered to another guy and, and way down through 2,000 years later, like, well, I hope I got what God said. This is what God wanted you to have, yeah. all right? Now, 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 the challenge is this. When God disses something up for you and you don't always appreciate it, how do you respond? Look at First Thessalonians chapter 2. You know where the power is at? The power is not just intellectually hearing the word of God. That's part of it. The power is when you hear it, how do you hear it? You know what Jesus says? Take heed what you hear. That's what he says in Matthew. Take heed how you hear it. That's what he says in Luke. Why does he say that? Listen, um, I'll give you an example. Uh, I asked my wife how she's doing after she just did this. Not that she does that, but if she did, she's slamming doors. Hey, babe, how's it going? I'm fine. You know what a man hears initially? She's fine. <laughs> and gentlemen, you're foolish for just leaving it there. 
okay? I've learned that. That's something I've learned in marriage. So, so you know what? She, in her mind, she's saying, I'm letting him know. She's not letting us know anything. <laughs> she thinks she's letting us know something, right? I have to hear it the way it's supposed to be heard in order to do something with that. In front. Are you guys with me right now? Yeah. All right, so when the Lord speaks, if you take it as, well, that's just your thoughts, preacher. There are certain things, let's be honest, that we, none of us, want touched in our lives. Uh, you ever been in someone's house where it's like, this is the room where we don't let the kids in? Right? I don't have a room like that. I need a room like that. But you ever been to those houses where, like, it's kind of like a museum? When you were little, look, again, kid of the 80s, sleepovers were the big deal, man. I mean, that was a big deal. Sleepovers were fun, you know. Go to someone's house, and you don't know the rules, and they're telling you, don't go in there, don't tell. You, you just, I, I've been in, I remember some, one of my friends had a house, just kind of like a museum. Like, it, it looked like no one lived there, all right? And, and let me just say this. Your, your Christian life's not meant to be a museum. The Lord's about, supposed to be able to walk in any room and go, how about this? And, and the problem is when you take what the word of God, what God is delivering to you through his word, and you take it simply as the word of men. Uh, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look, if you would, at verse number 13. Midweek Bible what? Sorry. Amen. All right, look at verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which what? Effectually. That's, that's an adverb that says it's really doing its job in you. It, the word of God does not activate until you receive it how God intended it to be received. As it is in truth, the word of God. So the reason why the Lord directs and, and addresses uh, who he is before he talks to every church about their issues and their blessings and all that, the reason that is is so that you take what God is saying as it comes from him and not just a man. Does this make sense? Look back at Revelation chapter 3. Look back at Revelation chapter 3. And notice when he addresses them and tells them who he is, in verse 7 he says, I'm holy. I'm holy. Do you realize uh, that, that's, that's, a, that's a big deal? That's a big deal. The Lord could have been any kind of God he wanted to be. You realize that? You know, you know what he says? I'm holy. You know why? He chose to be holy. I'm thankful for that. He has no beginning. He has no creator. He has no author. He is the author and finisher. And he chose to be holy. You know why that matters? Because if God makes promises and he's not holy, he can break them. You know why it matters? Because, listen, God promised you eternal life, didn't he? Aren't you glad he doesn't break his promises? You know why he doesn't break his promises? Because he's holy. <laughs> Uh, look at verse number seven. He, you know, he says, I'm not just holy, I'm true. And then he says this, and this is interesting. He says, I, I'm the one that hath the key of David. Well, what is all that about? Keys to what exactly? Do you remember over there in the Gospels, you don't have time to look at all these things, uh, but he talks to Peter about the keys of the kingdom. You know what that's all about? And uh, we won't go into, into a full discussion on it, uh, but what you've got in your Bible is you've got two key kingdoms, and some of you have heard this a million times, so I won't rehash all of it. Uh, but you're not going to experience the kingdom of heaven on this earth until Jesus Christ comes back and establishes a literal physical kingdom on this earth. Uh, but you know what you have right now? You've got the kingdom of God. And it's, according to Luke chapter 17, it's inside of you. When you blur these two things together and you make them the same, you do a disservice to the word of God. They're not the same. One time, and I'm not trying to be funny, one time a guy goes, how do you know the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is not the same thing? I say, here's why. Heaven is spelled H-E-A-V-E-N, and God is spelled G-O-D. 
It's deep, isn't it? You don't have to know the original languages to get that one. All right. These two things are not the same. All right. Uh, this the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of, of uh, it's basically God's will coming down to this earth. Thy will on earth be done as it is in heaven. That's, that's when the, the, we aren't experiencing that right now. God's will is not happening on this earth. Are you kidding me? The only exception to that is when somebody gets saved. All right? That, that's the, in the life of a believer following God's will. But outside of that, man, the world's not experiencing God's will on this earth. Not until he comes back and settles everything. All right? So when he talks about the keys, you know, he talks about, uh, I've got the keys to hell, death, life. The kingdom, I've got all the keys. He's got, he's got, he's got the master key. Why? Because he is the key. <laughs> all right? Uh, now, uh, I want you to look at, look at Isaiah chapter 22. Go to the Old Testament, Isaiah 22. You may not realize it, but in Isaiah, there's a lot of things that correlate with the book of Revelation. Isaiah chapter 22. He's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And you know what king uh, is referenced as the standard for kings in the Old Testament? It's David. And so when the Lord Jesus Christ shows up, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's connected with being the son of David. And so when he says he has the key of David, that's a significant thing. It, it reminds us, it aligns us again once more that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And if, by the way, if you want something open up to you, you want understanding from God, you don't just get it from somebody else. You get it from God himself. He's the one that opens things up to you. Look at Isaiah 22. You ever, you ever been praying about something and just, God, I want to know about this, and Lord, I want to know about this, and Lord, I'm not sure about this. Can I just say this? If it's going to be revealed to you, it won't be because you're smart. And it won't be because you've got the corner on, the, on, the, on, on how to study the Bible. It'll be because God chooses to reveal something to you. And you ought to plead for that, and you ought to desire that. Look at Isaiah 22. Look at verse number uh, 22. And the, uh, go back to verse 21. And I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle. And I will commit thy government into his hand. Talking about a future king. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Who's he talking about? Look at verse 22. And the key of the house of David, there it is, will I lay upon his shoulder. You know what else this is about Jesus Christ? Keep your hand right there. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter number 9. Isaiah chapter 9, look at verse number 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the what? Government shall... Can you imagine the governments of this world having to do what Jesus Christ tells them to do? Well, that's a far cry from where we're at right now. Would you not agree? I mean, look what it says here. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the prince of peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no what? Amen. I love that. Upon the throne of who? David. That's where he, that, and listen, you know what you're reading about? What you're, what you're getting sprinkled into this stuff that he's talking to the churches about is he's referencing things that are still prophetically in the future. Uh, the Lord, the next time the Lord comes, he's taking us off this planet. We meet him in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But when he comes back after the judgment seat of Christ and we come back with him, well, when he comes back, he's coming back to establish a government, a holy government, which is hard for us to imagine. All right? uh, what I want you to understand is this, uh, this, this key of David thing, what it does is it aligns Jesus Christ with his rightful place on the throne of David. It does something else. Look at Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. And I want you to get a hold of this because 
just two chapters from where we're at right now, uh, look at verse number uh, one. There's a, a problem that takes place in heaven. You may go, I don't think there are any problems in heaven. Well, here's one. Uh, look at Revelation chapter five, verse one. I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Did you notice he didn't ask who's able? Do you notice that? He didn't say who can do that. He says who's worthy. Uh, look at verse number three. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the what? Book. Do you realize the Bible, uh, listen, if the Bible is not written by God, inspired by God, and you don't have that same spirit inside of you, you're never going to get anything out of this. And when you don't ask the Lord to lead you and guide you, I'm going to tell you right now, there are times where you can read the book of Numbers and be on cloud nine getting all kinds of nuggets, and then there's times you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, like, I got nothing. It's not God's fault. The same stuff that you got a blessing that last time you read through is there, but somehow you're missing it. You say, why? Because he's not the one opening it up for you. You know what happens sometimes? We just get in a routine. All right, here we go. Uh, I've got 30 minutes before I got to go to the gym, 30 minutes before I got to get a phone call, got to go to work. So let me just do it. Let me tell you right now, that's not how you read the book. You need to ask him to open it up to you. You ought to desire, Lord, I want to get something I didn't get yesterday. Lord, would you open this up to my understanding? Uh, look, if you would, at verse number four. I like this. You know why I like this? Because I don't think we weep about the right things often. More times than not, think about the times you've wept in your life. I'm not picking on you. I'm just being, we're, we're human. We're, let's be real. And more times than not, when we weep, it's about our own issues and problems. When's the last time you wept? Because, man, I'm just not getting out of this book what I need. You know what happens? I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, weep not. <laughs> I like this. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, there it is again, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And you know what you see down in verse 6 and 7? It's the Lamb of God, it's Jesus Christ. And you know what they do? They fall down and they cry out in verse number 9, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. Do you realize, guys? Now think about this. The reason that he is worthy and also able is because he prevailed. Can I ask you a question? How did he prevail? He died. You, you, you want to prevail in the Christian life? You have to die to yourself. You go, man, I want to get more out of that. Okay, you know what? You know what? You know why the Lord is able? You know why he's able? Because he's worthy. And by the way, Christian, can I say this? When it comes to our worthiness, we're never worthy without him. <laughs> I mean, that, that's just the reality. Uh, look back at chapter 3. Can I just point out some things about this church practically? When you look at what the Lord says about them, he says that they have an open door that no man can shut. And he connects that open door, as you see in chapter 5, to opening the book. And you reference, look down at verse number 8 one more time. Uh, verse, I'm sorry, verse, uh, yeah, verse number 8, chapter 3, verse 8. And notice that he says, uh, I know uh, thy works, behold, I sit before thee an open door. And no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength. They didn't have a lot of strength. They didn't have all the resources. Can I say this? This church, now, if we're looking at this as we have been, practically looking at periods of church history, we would call this the Philadelphia church history period, 1500 to 1900. You know what they didn't have? Telephones. They didn't have internet. They didn't have social media apps. They didn't have cable, satellite, whatever you got, streaming, whatever. They didn't have any of that stuff. They had a little strength. They didn't have all the stuff we have today. Do you realize you can just, in a couple seconds, you can type something 
and put out a gospel verse somewhere and thousands of people can see it. They didn't have that. How were they able to do everything they were able to do without technology? No airplanes. I mean, for a lot of this, no ships, no, no, no uh, ships like we know them, uh, no trains, no cars. He said, how did they, listen, if you don't know church history, you've got the, great, the, the Reformation, uh, the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, the Moravian Mission Period, all that stuff, all the stuff that really, uh, where the Word of God went out into all the world and it exploded. It happens right here. And they had less than we have today. As a matter of fact, look at chapter 3 and look if you would at verse number uh, 17. Verse 17, when the Lord rebukes the church of Laodicea, look what they say. We're rich, increased with goods, have need of nothing. I don't need God. I've got everything. <laughs> That's the church period in which we find ourselves today, where, where people feel like they are sacrificing and making this huge sacrifice for God if they come to church at all in the week, let alone be a fanatic and come Sunday and Wednesday. Whereas these are the guys that are literally the Moravian missionaries. You know what they did? Uh, some of these guys, they sold themselves into slavery so they could preach the gospel in other lands. You got any Christians that want to do that today? Some of you don't want to get it, uh, made fun of on Facebook because you're stand for Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm trying to help you to understand. We are in a world of hurt. We need to get back to this right here. I can't go back in time. I can't uh, uh, bring back, you know, the revivals of that time. But I can be a Philadelphian Christian if I want to be. And so can you. You know what's wrong? The church here is asleep. They're, they're late. You know what they are? They're lazy. They're apathetic. They're lethargic. They just don't give a rip. That's where you're at today. People are dying going to hell. Yeah, I've heard that. Jesus Christ is coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We heard that before. Man, oh man. You know what you have over here? You got some people that say, we'll take the word. We don't have all the resources, but we'll do the best we can with the book. And you know what God did? God blessed that church. And he said, you know what? Because you've taken that book as it is for me, my words, and you publish them that same way. I'm going to put my hand on you and I'm going to put a door there that no one can shut. And it's not going to shut until which time you get over here. You know what happens over here? People start messing with the Bible. 1888, 1901, so on and so forth. You know what ends up happening? People start saying, we don't need that. Listen, man, let me tell you something right now. You better remember who brought you to the dance. All right? You, you know what happens sometimes? Uh, I, I've watched this before. Uh, people, couples will get married, and they're dirt poor, and then they start making money. And a woman becomes a real you know, business executive, or they make it in life, or whatever else. And then they dump the partner that got them there. That's a real dumb thing to do. Because usually what you think you're going to get ain't what you're going to get, right? Let me just say this, Christian. This is, what, this is what God is here. Do you know why you're saved? Because there's still some people that are living like Philadelphian Christians and willing to take the word of God at sacrifice and at cost to their lives, and they're willing to go out even if it costs them and bring it to you. Are you saved tonight because someone told you about Jesus Christ? You know what that means? That means you owe it to some. You know Paul says, I'm a debtor. <laughs> That means you owe it to somebody else to take that word and pass it on. Let me take a real quick trip through John. Look at John chapter 5. If you don't believe that, that keeping his words is a big deal. By the way, he, he says there, uh, they've kept my words and they kept my name. Uh, listen, if, if you don't believe it's a big deal, uh, look at John chapter number 5. John chapter 5. John 5, look if you would at verse 47. Quick trip through John. John chapter 5, verse 47. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my Jesus Christ talking about Moses. 
Uh, look at John chapter 12. John chapter 12. You know what the emphasis on? Uh, the emphasis is on in the Christian life. If you're going to follow the Lord, it's on his words. Will you keep them? You know why a Christian gets out of church? Well, because someone does them wrong. No, 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 that's not why. Christians have been offending each other for centuries since the beginning of the church, guys. If you don't believe that, read your Bible. They were offending each other when, right after Jesus left. Like, <laughs> like waiting for him to leave, to fly back up into outer space, so you can go, I'm better than you. If you don't believe that, read what Paul says in Corinthians. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. I mean, all this carnal, it's been there forever. Uh, guys, uh, God, the Holy Spirit moves in. Man, the cloven tongues as of fire are landing on people. They're speaking in unknown languages, and we're hearing them in the languages of the, the, the Medes and the Persians and the Elamites and this language, and Mesopotamia, all these different languages. We're hearing these unlearned fishermen who don't have an education preach the gospel in my own language. What a miracle! 3,000 people get saved. Would you not say that's a big deal? I mean, I'd, I'd be all right. Listen, if you guys are kind of like, well, maybe, I, I'll take 3,000 if they, if they come in. Well, what are we going to do with the building? We'll just put everybody outside. That's fine. All right, what if it gets cold? Get real close. <laughs> all right, I don't know, but I'll say, I take 3,000. You know what happens after that church gets formed? And literally, within, I'm talking a matter of a year, they go from revival, people getting saved, we're all excited too. How come you guys are always visiting those old widows and not us? Am I telling the truth? Yeah. Acts chapter number six. So, so what I'm getting at is, look, that's, that's just human nature. All right, that, that's been a part. When people get out of church, it's not because someone did me wrong. You know what's really, you know what the real issue is? They don't want to keep his words. Because the reality is this, if God brings you to what is right, it should be the word of God that leads you out of that which is wrong. Are you with me? Not because of offense, not because this is the issue of our day. This is why they were who they were. Now, I'm not saying there aren't things that have to be addressed in churches. That comes up and all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to tell you right now, Christians today are so petty and so small about the things that really matter, and they're so big about the things that don't. Like, who cares if someone parked in your parking spot? Who cares if someone sat in your seat? Who cares if someone else's kid bit your kid? You know what? Maybe your kid needed a biting, amen? <laughs> You ever think about that? <laughs> you go, oh, pastor, take that off YouTube. Can we edit that? Is that okay, guys? Can we do that? Scrap it out? All right, call CPS or whatever else. You know, the cops will be here before we know it. But you know what I mean, guys. I mean, people leave for all. And listen, you know what they did? These people, I'm telling you guys, listen to this. We shall have all eternity in which to celebrate our victories. But we have only one swift hour before the sunset in which to win them. Robert Moffat, missionary to, to Africa, 1795 to 1883. He's David Livingston's father-in-law. William Carey, 1761 to 1834. You know why there's any element of Christianity in India right now? Because of that man. He's the father of modern missions. David Livingston says, I'm prepared to go anywhere, provided it be forward. All that I am, I owe to Jesus Christ re revealed to me in his divine book. That's the right spirit. If you have, now I love this story. I've told it before, but I'll tell it again. Uh, mission board in England uh, with all the resources and money. And you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you, man. But, but every once in a while, something needs to get bit. And they write David Livingston. They go, hey, we've got some men that want to come visit you. Uh, are there any good roads so we can send these men so they can come help you in the ministry? You know what he said? If you only will send me men who will come with good roads, I don't want them. I want to go where there are no roads. That's a good idea. 
You say, what is that? That's the pioneering spirit of people getting a hold of the word of God and it changing their life. I've watched some of you come to church and have no spiritual interest whatsoever and the Bible gets a hold of you, you get a hold of it. And all of a sudden you're witnessing your coworkers Amen. and you're inviting people to church. And I don't want to pick on people, but I got to be honest. I, I see some people in here, I'm at, Johnny, not picking on you, but you know, man, a couple years ago, I definitely did not see you work in the media booth, all right? All right? I, I mean, Johnny would come, he would sit in the, I'm not picking, he gets it. It was part of your testimony, you're good with this, right? He would sit in the back, put his hoodie on, put his headphones on. That was his media ministry. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it wasn't preaching he was listening to, all right? Uh, but, but, but look at the transfer. What is that? That's not me. That's the Word of God. <laughs> you go, oh, you're Nicole. It's changing you. Good. You need to be changed. Not, you know, you say, what kind of cult? I am in a Bible cult. I love when people have no, they have no, it's a straw man argument. There's nothing else to say. You have no Bible. You've got no substance. So you're in a cult. Listen, if I tell you guys to move in with me, then that's the time to be worried. And I'm going to tell you right now, it ain't ever happening. Okay, so don't worry about it. All right, but I think you ought to get a hold of the word of God. And it ought to get a hold of you because it can change you. Look at John chapter number 12. John chapter 12, look at, well, very next verse, verse 48. He that rejecteth me, and receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Do you realize the Bible can be medicine? The Bible can be protection or it can be your own judgment. Depending on how you take it. You know what these folks did? They took it. And they didn't just sit around in seminaries and talk about the Bible. You know what they did? They took it and they took it in all the world. And you know what God said? I, 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 can't, I can't find fault. Now look, if the Lord is looking on human beings and he doesn't mention one thing wrong with them, you ought to pay attention to that as a church. Because I can tell you what, all of us are human and we can all find faults in this room. You're like, yep, my wife, my brother, my... I, I mean, but seriously, you can find problems in here. If the Lord looked over and he, as he did in Philadelphia, man, wouldn't that be a blessing to just go... Just keep doing what you're doing. Look at chapter 3 and verse number 9, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Trying to make sense of all this. And there's some things in here that absolutely are uh, practical that we can apply to our lives. And there's some things that we just have to understand doctrinally uh, don't necessarily fit uh, where we're at. Uh, And they refer to things that are still future. Look at verse 9. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Now, if you go back to chapter number 2, chapter 2, look, if you would, at uh, verse number 9. He says the same thing about the church of Smyrna. So there's people that say that they're Jews and are not, and, uh, and, and, and they basically call them out, and they say, hey, this isn't right. Philadelphia did that, so did Smyrna. And you may go, well, why is that a big deal? Well, here's why. Because there's a thing called covenant theology. All right, here's what it means. God is done with Israel, all right? And basically, God replaced Israel with the church. And here we are, and we took their place. Therefore, all the blessings that God promised to Israel way back here, even before the cross of Calvary in the Old Testament, all that stuff, that really applies to us. No, it does not. <laughs> And so, for whatever reason, you, may, you want to dig on this on your own when you study your Bible, for whatever reason, God really has a problem when people say there's something that they're not. Yeah, right. And that's a practical thing you can take out of that. Uh, you know what, I, 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 I love this. I, I love when 
Uh, we're going to talk about this maybe a little bit on Sunday. Jacob shows up to his dad. And uh, you know what Jacob's a picture of? He's a picture of a Christian that wants something from the Lord, but he's not always willing to go about it the right way. And his dad's a picture of the Lord. And, and of course, for just a moment, it's not full type. I understand there's issues with that, but just bear with me. You know what Jacob does? He comes and says, I'm Esau. You see, what's he doing? He's not being honest about who he is. You want to get anywhere with God? Be honest about who you are. Be on, now look, let me, let, me, let me come over here. We live in this like be real culture. We're like, just let it all hang out. No, no, there's some things we don't want to see. Right. And we don't need to know and we don't need to hear. Amen. Amen. All right. And what I'll say about that is you have one high priest and his name is not Adrian Dominguez or Father Adrian Dominguez. All right. His name is Jesus Christ. Right. Do you know who you go to with those things? Him. But it doesn't change the fact that when you approach him, God doesn't like it when people pretend to be something that they're not. He has a problem with that. And he says, look, there's those that are the synagogue of Satan and they say they're Jews and they're not. Uh, look at verse number 10. Look at verse number, or verse number 9, rather, excuse me. He says this, I will make them, at the end of the verse, I'll make them to come and worship before thy feet. That's an interesting comment because someone tries doing that uh, to the angel. It looks like an angel there that John tries to bow down to and the angel goes, no, 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 get back up. Uh, I'm, I'm like you, I don't bow down and worship me. But he tells, he says this to this church, hey, because you stuck by the stuff, I'm gonna have some people at your feet who would never have respected you in this life, but someday they will. Can I say this? I've learned this about the Lord. Uh, you can have what you want now or you can have it later. This is the way the devil works. Genesis chapter three. You wanna be smart? You wanna be wise? You want to know everything? All right? You want to get ahead? Take this fruit. And Eve's like, well, yeah, I want that. Who doesn't want that? You know what the Lord says? I could give, you, I could give that to you forever if you did it my way. So she does it her way, the devil's way, and you know what, she ha- you know what happens? Here we are. You see Why? Because you need to understand this. You can get what you want now or you can get it later. The way the devil works is this. Buy it now. It's just, it's just a little bit of interest. Well, how much is it? Oh, don't worry about it. It's only 37.5%. Oh, my goodness. But he kind of whispers that kind of low. You know what? You, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. And I'll, I don't mean to, to bring up memories if this is someone's life or testimony. But I've seen people who are looking for love the wrong way and go from person to person to person to per- giving their body away and they pay for it for the rest of their lives. And I'm not saying what I'm about to say in any way, shape, or form to sound self-righteous. If you have gone through that and you are saved, it is under the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do not let the devil beat you up over it. I'm simply trying to help maybe those that are not there yet. But I want them to understand something. That is the way it goes. Or you can say, got me a good one, I'm good with one. And I'm going to tell you what, it is the best life. But you know what the world tells you? Do it this way. Get what you want right now. Oh, you'll pay for it for the rest of your life, but you can have what you want now. And the Lord goes, nope, hold up back on those hormones, stop it, slow down, restrain yourself. And you can enjoy this the right way for the rest of your life. You know, now, that's just an illustration. I think you can understand where I'm going. We've got a PG crowd here. I'm trying to be careful. But understand this. Uh, you can say, Lord, I'll be willing to pay now so I can enjoy later. And for the rest of your life as a believer, that's how it goes. You know what the Philadelphia did? They paid. 
And the Lord said, I'll take care of you later on. You know what the devil says? Pay now. Enjoy what you want right now. Forget about people dying and going to hell. Live your own life. Love yourself. It's about time you had me time. You need to think about you. Aren't you, don't you, this whole culture that we have today where it's like self-indulgent. Now look, I want to get this out of the way because I think somebody need to hear this. If all you do is try to please people, that's not biblical. There's a difference between being a people pleaser that has no boundaries and being a servant that is willing to wash feet. That's what they did. Brotherly love. You know, how you, you know how you tell if someone loves you when they tell you the truth. You know what they did? They went all around the world preaching the gospel. The highest form of love is found in truth. And they paid for it, but God blessed them for it in the end. Uh, and look, if you would, at verse number 10. Verse number 10. Can I ask you a question? Do you, do you ever think about the judgment seat of Christ when you make a decision? When you take a job? When you're in a relationship? When you come to church? When you have the attitude that you have? When you're reading your Bible? When you're talking to your spouse? When you're dealing with your children? When you're dealing with your parents? Do you ever think about, well, how is this going to play out at the judgment seat of Christ? You ought to. As a matter of fact, look if you go to verse number 10. Verse number, verse number 11, rather. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy what? Look, if you would, at Second John. Just go back a little bit. Second John. Second John, verse number 8. Second John, verse number 8. Look, if you would, at verse 8. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full what? You know what God wants to do? He wants to give you a full reward at the judgment seat of Christ. And you get that based on your willingness to hold on to the opportunities that God gives you. Don't let someone rob you of that. You say, how do I do that? The way you hold on is by keeping his word and going, you know what? Every decision I make in this life, it's not what is mom going to say, what are the brethren going to say. It's what does God think about this? Because if I can think that way, you know what? I, I've watched some young people make some really dumb decisions recently, not in our church. But Lenny's like, what do I do? It's not him. It's not him. It's not Lenny. It's not one here. But I watched it. I watched it. And here's how it went. They're doing it. Therefore, I will look, jump off the cliff like a lemming as well. Can I tell you what? That's a really bad way to make a decision. You'll pay for it in eternity. Now, you won't go to hell for it if you're saved. But I'll tell you this. You'll miss out on the rewards God wants for you. You know, he tells them, hold on. You know, there's things that you ought to hold on to and not let go. I've watched this, and parents, let this just be a little practical nugget for you. I've watched a lot of Christian parents, when their kids grow up, go, well, kids are out of church. You know, they grew up, and they're gone, so I don't need church anymore. Let me tell you something. You needed church worse than they did. Isn't that not true? The longer you're alive, the more sin you commit, and therefore you've got, you got a need for it more than they, even the kids do. And yet we convince us, my kids really need church. No, you need church. You say, what happens? You let go of things a little bit at a time. Can I, can I tell you, the devil doesn't just say, I want you to bow down and worship me, or I want you to get out of church, or get out of your Bible, or hate Christians. He doesn't show up that way. He just plants a little seed, then another one, then another one, then another one. And eventually you go, you know what? Maybe this isn't what I thought it was. I think I'll take that, that fruit off the tree right now. And you pay for it. Hold on to what God's given you. Look at Revelation chapter 3. Look, if you would, at verse number 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar, pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. You know what's interesting about this? 
over here in the Great Tribulation, you guys know this. You know what goes on? There's a, a false Messiah, a false Christ, an Antichrist. And you know what he does? He wants to put his name on everybody. And you know what's interesting about that? Go to the book of Daniel. We're going to close with this thought. We know this as the mark of the beast and all that kind of stuff. Revelation chapter 13, all that good stuff. You say, why is that? Because going back to the garden, there's a battle that goes on. The epic battle goes like this. I want man to fall into my image. Satan says this. So if a man dies without Jesus Christ, he does exactly that. Where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. But if you're saved, you know what happens? Inside of you, the moment you get saved, you have a new image that's stamped in there. And it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you know what you could have been? You could have been a liar. You could have been a deceiver. You could have been a felon. You could have been a drunkard. You could have been a drug addict. You could have been a great number of things, but now that you're saved, you, know you, are, you are a child of God because you have his name in you. And you know what I think is kind of, I think a, a tragic thing about, uh, about believers today, I think this is true, is oftentimes what they do is they allow the world to identify them, not the Lord. Notice what he says. If you keep my word, you do this, you know what? I want you to know, boom, here's my name. I'm going to put this on you. Uh, look at... Uh, uh, Daniel, Daniel chapter number one, Daniel chapter one. You know what happens when the Israelites, because they turn on the Lord and they turn their back on him, when the Israelites, God's people, the Jews, when they are taken into captivity, I want you to notice what it is that the Babylonians do. Look at Daniel chapter one. They take these children, look at verse four, and whom was no blemish, well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding size. These are the smart young men from the kingdom of Israel. And look at uh, verse number five. The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and the wine which he drank. You know what the world wants to do? They want to change your appetite. Let me change what you call fun. Let me change what you call enlightening. Let me change what you call uh, educational. Let me change what you call uh, 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 fulfilling. Let me change what you call, right? Uh, look, if you would, at verse number six. Now, among these were the children of Judah, Daniel. You know that name. Here are three names you're not as familiar with, and here's why. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Why don't you know those three names? Here's why. Look at verse 7. Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. What did they give? What did they give? Well, don't they already have a name? Why do they want to change it? Boom. We, we don't want you thinking like Jews anymore. We don't want you thinking like God's people anymore. We want you thinking like us. So they change their name to what? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those weren't their Hebrew names. You know them by those names. But their Hebrew names are Azariah, Mishael, right? The, their Hebrew names are different. Oh, why, why does that matter? You know what the devil wants to do? He wants you to identify with what he wants you to identify with. And the Lord says, no, 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 you've got a new name. In a lot of that new name, you need to live your life, your identity, and your purpose. Look, uh, uh, I'm going to pick on Alex for a moment. He's going to school, learning how to be a teacher. We could use some good teachers in, in the school system. Amen. Amen? All right. But you know his identity is not, I'm a teacher. His identity is, I'm a Christian who gets to be a teacher. Amen. Joe does fishy stuff in Vegas. I'm not sure what he, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So I want to make sure everybody's awake. I can tell it's warm. You're getting sleepy. All right, Joe, Joe does some underwriting. Is that right? Did I say that right? Mortgage, under, all right, the undertaker, is that what it is? Under, underwriting, all right? He does, but he's not an underwriter. He is a Christian who gets to underwrite, right? Uh, look, look, we can go around the room 
and talk about everyone's identity. You are, listen, bro, brother, brother Eric is a designer. He does some design work. He's not a designer. He's a Christian who gets to design. <laughs> uh, brother, brother Sean is an accountant, all right? And, and people that like numbers are crazy, man. <laughs> He's crazy, but, he, but you know what he is? He's a child of God who gets to do accounting. Amen. You know what that is? Your identity matters. <laughs> and the Lord wants you to know, hey, look, you're mine. Let, let, let the word of God be the thing that speaks to you. And let your new identity be the thing that leads you in your purpose. And maybe you might have a shot at being a Philadelphian Christian, even though we're living in Laodicea. Let's all stand. We'll have a word of prayer and be dismissed. Brother Perlinger, would you close us out in a word of prayer, sir?